Alright, everybody ready? Sir, doors last. Harvard. 528, departing runway 9er. Same close left traffic, Hartford. Alright, full throttle, here we go. I got the legendary Alan Kogan from the Kogan Conversation. How long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been doing this, so I got back to it um, about four and a half years ago after uh, putting it down for about 12 years. And uh, I, I went to school originally to be in aviation, um, and then it just did not work out. So it was one of those things where they always say in aviation, the two things that will take you out of aviation is time and money, and I had neither. <laughs> and then I didn't have any time, and then uh, I didn't have any money, and then I didn't have any time again, and then so it just uh, it was, a, it was a forever process. Sure. All right, well, we just had a fantastic plane ride with Brad. I appreciate that uh, awesome trip, man. That's incredible. Yeah, man, we just did a little uh, little loop around Hartford, Wisconsin, and, and even gave Alan the control, so we ended up, we, we were alive, so that was good. <laughs> I think the closest thing we ran into was a cloud, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost hit it. <laughs> but no, so I, I know we talked about doing this, and you said, hey, come on, let's, uh, let's record in the hangar. I'll give you a flight, and that was I, an, an amazing offer. I'm like, I can't refuse that. And plus, we get to share some bourbon now. So I, it's crazy that I met you at a wedding, a, one of my oldest friends, uh, Alex's wedding. And we talked about bourbon there. We talked about some stuff that you did. And then it just kind of transpired into this. And now here we are. So welcome. Yeah, it was awesome. I was, I was trying to find a, a fun place to hang out at that wedding. You know, typically uh, as a wedding officiant, you aren't used to staying much past cocktail hour. And so I... <laughs> You know, it's kind of like one of those things, like, I, I don't even know what to do after dinner. And I'm like, do I talk to people? Like, and and then I saw you hanging out and I'm like, he seems like a fun guy. So like I went and started talking. And of course, in the, uh, we had what it was you, me and some other guy. And we were just like, it was jokes all night. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. I don't think I've laughed that hard in a while. So. I, think, I think I was the one guy out there with a, with a neat whiskey and a cigar looking like a 75 year old man. <laughs> By yourself. Yeah. I got to talk to that guy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so I, one thing I always ask my guests is just give me an introduction and an abridged version of, you know, who is Brad Schnell? Yeah, sure. So uh, who is Brad Schnell? I guess I'm an, an aspiring IT professional. I always say that because um, I am a guy that that loves to do a lot of different stuff and so uh, to me I, I started in uh, like we were talked about it I studied to become a pilot at first and then uh, just life and circumstances kind of took me out of the cockpit and kind of put me in a different place and um, as someone who didn't finish school and then trying to get back on the uh, you know kind of back on the professional game I, I sold mortgages over the phone for a while and then um, after 2007 decided I need to do something different with my life and then went and sold insurance for Northwestern Mutual for a while. Um, and after that was over, I, I decided that I wanted to kind of go off and not be self-employed anymore. So <laughs> I hit up a friend of mine who works for another company and, and I started in sales there and then transitioned to IT. And then all the while I was, uh, as we talked about, I was building this efficient business on the side and um, you know, I'd, I'd been an entrepreneur before and then uh, just trying to learn how to build this practice. And then, um, so I, I'm, it's crazy because I, I, I do all this business stuff. I, I'm also, uh, you know, self-employed, employed, but I'm also the father of twin eight-year-old kids and uh, also love to fly airplanes. So I got a lot going on, man. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and that's a lot more than I knew because I, I just knew you as the guy who's a, an officiant. And then you had told me, told me at the wedding that you do this professionally, yeah. which I thought it was awesome. How do you get into something like that, a professional officiating? Because I'm ordained and I've officiated my uh, sister-in-law and her now husband's wedding. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's it. And they told me, you should do this and just charge people to forget. I'm like, wow. Well, uh, so how do you get into it? 
Uh, completely by mistake in the, the exact same way that you got into it really is you have a friend that asked you to do it and uh, for me it was about 2.30 in the morning walking back from a bar in Wauwatosa and I had really good friends of mine ask me to officiate their ceremony and I agreed <laughs> and then the next morning I was reminded that I did such a thing um, and uh, it's it started very simply in that I, I my intention was I was going to do one wedding and be out you know like that that was it like I'd asked I'd been asked to do it once and that was that was going to be the way it was going to go and so I uh, I at the time I was reading this book and it was all about writing and uh, it, the title of it was write what you know and I was like going back and forth about what I was, like, what I was going to make this ceremony about and sure ultimately I landed on you know I really want to make it about their story together and kind of talk about their relationship and kind of how they came to be married that day and uh, that'll be fun. Everyone likes a love story. Otherwise, Hallmark would be out of business every December. And <laughs> so I, I decided to make it about their story. And what was phenomenally surprising to me is when I sat down with them and started talking about their life together, I realized that these people that I'd known for a very long time, I absolutely knew nothing about. Oh, wow. And so I, you know, uh, out of all the, I, I mentor a lot of would-be officiants as well. People reach out to me all the time and they're like, Hey, I'm about to officiate my first ceremony. Like, what do I do? Sure. And uh, my my first thing is, uh, you, I, I always tell people, like, you don't know your friends as well as you think you do. Uh, you might know their love story and the the ele the thirty second elevator pitch that they've given you for the last five years, <laughs> um, but you don't really know their relationship on a deeper level and start there. Right. Right. And so I was, so I always work with couples to uh, talk to them about. Uh, kind of their story together first. And I, I always kind of make that sort of the the essence of the ceremony. Sure. And so I did this one ceremony and that was great. And other people in the audience were like, wow, that was pretty cool. We like that. Uh, we should hire him too. Yeah. And so I started working with a bunch of different couples. And uh, one of them uh, now owns a successful barn venue out in Delafield. Um, and before they opened, they were like, hey, like, can you come out and perform our ceremony? It's like, yeah, absolutely. I'll do that. And after their ceremony was over, we, we got an, a chance to meet again and, and we sat down and they were like, hey, is this something you want to like do more of? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, like <laughs> do more of. Uh, and they were like, yeah, like, do, do you want to be a preferred vendor? And I was like, sure. I was kind of yes manning my way through this whole practice, if you can't tell by now. Of course. But I was like, sure, I don't know what that means, but this will be fun. So they put me as a preferred vendor on their on their website and it just was game busters i mean like i i think their first season open i did 20 25 weddings at their venue wow um and then i was spread throughout on some other ones so that was like the first really big year for me um and then 2015 was kind of the craziest time because um i actually was number one in milwaukee magazine in the wedding uh edition for officiating weddings and i was like i didn't know that was a thing that <laughs> you could get an award for doing yeah. Um, but there it was in print and, uh, and it was just kind of this crazy thing because, uh, as the years progressed, 2017, I won my first Wisconsin bride best of, wow. uh, award for best efficient. And then, um, I've been in the running for that award for the past like six years. So it's been, it's been wild. That's so, cool. That's so, cool. Yeah, so it just kind of progressed naturally into this sort of crazy business that I never knew I wanted and the way it started was really focusing on the people that were in front of me and something that seemed very arbitrary uh, ended up being something that was very important to the couples that I was working with they're like yeah I've never been to a ceremony before where they, where they talk about the story and uh, really kind of bring everybody in and so I think that's what made it special sure well I, I think 
with that, we should pour and uh, have a cheers to love because you've been a part of so many love stories. Oh, man. So let's pour, <laughs> let's pour some bourbon. <laughs> Sounds good. What are we starting with today? So this one is, uh, it's called Bear Creek Straight Bourbon. And I actually just discovered it at a, a bachelor party because I'm in 17,000 weddings this year uh, in Denver, Colorado. And it's nothing fancy, but it's a great benchmark starting point bourbon. They've been around for, I think, just about 15 years or so. They age it at least four, uh, four years. It's nothing special, like I said, but it, it's just a great benchmark bourbon to get us started. So, great. How about it? Awesome. And, and you're, in, you're in all these weddings, not as an officiant, just so we're clear, just as, just as, a, as a groomsman. Yeah, well, actually, I'm standing up in every single one, yeah. yeah. Four weddings this year. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it's matured in American uh, white oak barrels as bourbon needs to be. I don't know if you're aware, so bourbon has to be uh, in new fill American oak, 51% corn at least. Uh, there's proofing requirements for how it goes in the barrel, how it comes out, all that stuff. I just had this for the first time a month ago, so I'm curious what you think. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers, man. To love. To love. <laughs> I'm surprised by how it starts. It's very, very smooth. Most yep. of the time in, um, you know, kind of like a whiskey, I'm expecting kind of that upfront sort of, I think, um, I think you call it, people are, can be offended by yes. the, kind of the upfront feeling of it. Um, but to me, it, it goes really smooth and it's kind of got a nice, um, it's got a nice persistent burn to it, whereas opposed to something that's got kind of uh, an uppy downy sort of feel. Sure. Um, I can definitely taste the oak in it for sure. Um, yeah, it's very wooded. I, I get a lot of fruit notes on the nose, but then there's not really much sweetness there on the mouth yeah. other than the traditional bourbon, vanilla, and uh, baking spices. But I tried to research, I, I cut a couple notes down, but I tried to research uh, what the mash bill was this, what it was on this, and I couldn't find it. I, I'm assuming this is a high rye bourbon. Mm -hmm. uh, that spice, that kind of offensive, it almost feels like the alcohol is too burny. Right. That's, that's in the, especially in the, in the finish. That's all that rye spice, I'm pretty sure. But of course, they don't disclose their ingredient lists. So. Wow, and it really dries out your mouth at the end. It's yeah, really it's nice. it's almost like a like a, a, a Cabernet Sauvignon right dryness in your mouth. It's wild yeah, for sure. But it's good. It's not bad, and it's it's won awards locally. I I mean, it's I think this is a great entry because this is kind of what a lot of benchmark bour bourbons taste like to me. Yeah, it's very caramely, brown sugar forward, vanilla, and then it just dries out the mouth and goes away. Yeah, nothing and it special. It's really really nice. So yeah, yeah, I think this would be perfect in cocktail. I mean, yeah. Or on its own. Or on its own. Because why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Put good bourbons and cocktails. Yeah. Being a part of so many weddings, I'm sure you've had some crazy stories, both good and bad. Sure. What are give me give me just like two of your favorite like maybe one great and one <clears throat> bad standout moment that you just tell everybody. Sure. Um, I think I'm gonna actually start with one of my one of my favorite horror story <laughs> weddings. Um, it, it wasn't really a horror story. I, I say that in the best, but it's like you, like you said, you see so many obnoxious things at weddings, uh, happening and, you know, weddings themselves are sort of this, this mix of like this happy celebration, but there's also so much going on undertow wise. Sure. Um, and as a, as someone who stood up in weddings before, I'm sure you're aware of that. There's just this, all this drama that's happening underneath the surface. It's oh, yeah. like, um, and I feel to me like weddings are really great when you can kind of, you can still have the calm sea, but. Uh, amidst the churn underneath, right? Right. And for me, delivering a good ceremony, I, I get them through the door, right? What happens after that, that's up to them. But hey, if I can if I can give them off with, you know, making sure that there wasn't any drama in the ceremony, that's great. But like, and so far I haven't heard any any drama that I've provided for a ceremony, so that's great <laughs> as well. So the, far. <laughs> yeah, so far. 
But, you know, commonly during these ceremonies, one of the things that couples will do uh, to put a little bit of spin on their ceremonies, they'll do a unity ceremony at the end, right? So they'll, and a unity ceremony to me is an officiant when someone comes to me and says, hey, I'd like a unity ceremony. What they're looking for is they're looking to take two things that are probably really good on their own individually. But then when you combine them, they're supposed to either be better or they're supposed to mix together right. well. And so uh, commonly you'll see like, um, one of my favorite ones is probably like the black and tan ceremony. Oh, sure. Which you'll appreciate. So like at black and tan for those uninitiated on uh, listening as uh, in Wisconsin and, and elsewhere, I'm sure they do in other places as well. But you can order a black and tan in a bar. And what that is, is that it's a Pilsner beer and, uh, and Guinness together. And the Guinness will uh, kind of float on top of the Pilsner because it's lighter weight than the Pilsner beer. So the Pilsner will kind of sink to the bottom. And so you got the black and you got the tan underneath. And so uh, the couple that I was working with at the time uh, that wanted to do this, the bride was an English teacher and she just helped me like craft this perfect thing. And she saw the black and tan as this like duality of life, mixing dark and light and bitter and sweet together. It was awesome. And it's just kind of this really cool experience because after they're done doing mixing the black and tan in front of everybody, they drink it. Right. Why not? Right. And so they're going to have a drink right before their ceremony ends, which is just a great highlight on a, on a good ceremony. Um, I started with my positive, even though I was supposed to start with the negative. But um, what I'm going to is this unity ceremony that was a disaster. Right. <laughs> and um, I think we're beyond the, the statute of limitations. I think it happened like seven years ago. So I think we're good. I don't think they're going to come back for me on this, but if they do, it's fine. It's not, it's not my fault. It was your fault. <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, is that we were, we were setting up as this fall wedding. It was like probably October, November. And they had a unity tree for their unity ceremony. And what that is, is that they're going to plant a tree. It's otherwise known as a sapling ceremony. They're going to plant a tree and put it somewhere special in their life together. And because like trees, love requires nurture and, you know, and, and water and warmth and sunlight. And so and so we can we can draw all these parallels for for this unity ceremony. And, uh, you know, during my interview with the couple, they're like, yeah, we're going to get the tree from uh, from the bride's childhood home and it's going to be a lilac bush. And I was like, oh, that's great. Good. From her childhood home. That's very sweet. And so uh, now bringing back to the day of, of the ceremony, and they had this whole thing where they didn't want to open the doors for their ceremony until the ceremony is supposed to start. So everybody's staying outside in the cold and it gets to be about a half an hour after the ceremony starts, 45 minutes. Doors are still locked. People are still standing outside and it's, it's like October in Wisconsin. So it's, it's cold, not, it's not comfortable. We're used to it, but it's not comfortable. Right. And so they're, they're standing out there and this whole time, I'm like, what is going on? And I don't, I don't have a lot of contact with the bride and the groom before the ceremony. Typically, they're kind of off doing their own thing, and I'm doing my own thing. And in the door walks this lady with this tree that, no, no kidding, looked like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Because <laughs> it was just a mess. It was, it was just disheveled, and it was like, you know, it's just, it was a mess. I think it had like two leaves on it. <laughs> and I go to the lady, I'm like, what is... Like, what is this? She's like, oh, this is the this is the tree for the uni ceremony. I'm like, come on. And she's like, she's like, no, it is. And I'm like, okay. And I was like, what what took so long for it to get here? She's like, well, I had to go to the house where it was. And I'm like, well, it's the bride's childhood home. And she's like, well, her parents don't live there. Oh God. So this lady had stolen a tree and brought it to the ceremony. And I'm like, is, is this a crime? 
Am I am I am I to, am I to be arrested? Should I participate in this in this activity? And so uh, so they they burn the tree in and it, and we get to the end of the ceremony and man that tree looked awful like it just it had been hacked to bits and like it's falling apart and they're adding soil to it. We went through the whole thing, but I I highly doubt that tree is still alive. Do you know what it was? What kind of tree was it? It was a lilac tree. Oh, it was lilac. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Jesus. So, yeah, but no, it was it was. It, it was one of those things where just the whole time I'm just trying to keep a straight face in the back as I'm reading through their union ceremony they're pouring you know dirt into this pot with this tree that just looks like it's gonna fall over I I, I kind of have this like cinematic idea of them pouring the the soil and doing the ceremony and one of the last leaves just falls off <laughs> right <laughs> it's yeah. like a perfect timing of the photo yeah. <laughs> you know I can't I can't uh, confirm or deny that that actually <laughs> happened but let's let's just say that it did oh my god yeah that's right. Did they did they know that, or are they just playing along with it? To like, well, we're already here. Might as well just embrace it. I think I think a lot of I think a lot of couples like you're in your ceremony. You've no way yeah to stop it, right? Like, right. Um, at that point, other than a bride being like, "Hey, we're not we're not going to do that." Like, just skip that part. Move on. Sure, sure. Right, like the the movie part where the they're like, just skip to the I do's already. Right, like, um, you, you know, we're we're in it. They're going to go for it. Sure, sure. So. So when you do your ceremonies, do you draw on any inspiration from anything? And do you have you like gone on YouTube or or, or watched sermons or, or how how do you go about fix? I'm, I'm sure you've learned a lot as you've done it. And public speaking has probably gotten better over the time. I mean, yeah, uh, one of the earliest things that I remember um, kind of wanting to be in public speaking and kind of uh, aspiring to it later on in life was uh, every Sunday or every Saturday afternoon. Sorry, in my house. Um, my dad would have on Garrison Keeler and Prairie Home Companion. Oh. And so I, you know, as, as someone who would listen to Prairie Home Companion every single weekend, uh, one thing that really stuck with me is how to be a visual storyteller with words. And it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and it's something that I, I, I I'm not, I'm not saying I'm as good as Garrison Keeler, but I always try to aspire to be that. Sure. Um, just because like he could take you places and just sit next to the radio. And that was that was something that was really sort of foundational for me as a, as a public speaker, something I was kind of put in the back of my head. Um, and then as I was at Northwestern Mutual, one of the things that you do is you attend a lot of conferences, you see a lot of people speak about how they build their business and build their practice. And one of the things that I was, I was listened to a lot, uh, especially as I was starting out in the, in the financial practice game was, I would listen to people's talks from years and years and years back. Um, our, Managing partner kept a library of all the the speeches that had been given at at the annual meetings and things like that, and that were sort of the the hoorah to like get out there and and sell insurance and investment products to people and, and kind of why it mattered. Um, and so I would I would use that as as kind of like the baseline. And for me, that's when I started writing my first ceremony. That those were the things that I feel like were really inspirational to me. Sure. Um, not only that, but the kind of was, I was talking about with the the book, write about what you know. Um, you know, I've sort of been these different writing projects and I've always tried to stay creative and that, that was something that I want to stay on top of. And so that was really inspiring when I was doing my first ceremony. I love that. Well, the ceremony that I, I witnessed you do was awesome. So, and of course I wouldn't be here if you were terrible. So <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> like, oh, that guy was terrible. I don't want to interview him. <laughs> well, shall we hop to our next bourbon? I'd love that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. So this one, I actually sampled with my parents when I was down at training at Fort Benning, uh, just over the border. There's a place called Opelika, Alabama. And uh, we were just driving around. They had come down for my graduation weekend, and uh, my parents had never been to a distillery and or a tour. And I said, "Well, then uh, we're going to change that. I'm your son, and I this is my life. So, yeah. so, so we're going to go tour this distillery." And I just Google around, and I found this place called John Emerald Distilling Company. 
And it's a small little operation. And we go in there, and it's probably one of the most generous uh, generous distillery stories I've ever been on. They, the guy was just guy was slinging bourbon, slinging whiskey, just, hey, well, you want to try that again? You want to try this? They had some moonshine. They had some schnapps that they made. Um, and he tried our, we, we got to try their moonshine, which is their unaged whiskey. Mm-hmm. And there was no limit. Like, you go to the, a, lot of, a lot of the bigger players, and it's, well, you get three half shots, and that's it. Right. This was like, did you want to try some more of that? What do you think about that? Because I think that, especially for a local craft distillery, that's going to get you to buy the bottle. I, can I have a, not another sip of that? Can I try this next to this whiskey? Can I try that next to the bourbon? Um, and then I'll know if I like that. And he, he was gung-ho. We, he actually had a table set up in the front like with 15 different samples and then we went to the back and he had another table set up with more samples it was great i wasn't driving so it was in good spirits <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we figured why not we went there had a good time and uh i, I mean they, they have a they have an american whiskey that's a pretty much a copy of a scotch it's asian port wine barrels that i love but their their cast strength bourbon which is a double oaked bourbon which i have for you today is is actually pretty dang good i have this on, i have two unopened bottles back at my at my house just for the sole purpose of having a good high proof cocktail um, but also just a sipper. This is this is a really oaky bourbon. Um, it's double oak. That what they do is they take toasted American oak chips and let that sit and um, actually float around inside the whiskey in the barrel. So you're actually doubling that char flavor. A lot of that wood sugar comes out when you char the barrel. So when you char the inside of the barrel, it's like a level two to four char, just depending on how charred you want to get. Mm-hmm. But then you add in the toasted uh, toasted chips, and you get even more of that wood note. So it's uh, it's interesting. It's a different type of bourbon, especially next to the one we just had. So, Amazing. I also want to explain for your listeners, they, they may hear um, these like propellers spinning around. The, those are guys in powered parachutes just like flying over the airport with nothing else to do with their life. Um, it, it's truly amazing. One of the really cool things about hanging out here uh, after you go flying is just the, the different guys that go out and fly and the different ways that everyone experiences aviation here, whether you're a glider pilot, whether you got a, a powered parachute or whether you got just a fan tied to your back um, as, you're, as you're kind of milling about the airport. It's, it's really cool to see. So a lot of different ways that people kind of take in and enjoy aviation around here. Yeah. No, well, I mean, hey, this, this is the ambiance, right? We're in a hangar. Yeah. So there's going to be background noise. Yeah. I love it. So uh, cheers, man. Enjoy. Cheers. So you'll probably get that a lot more heat on that. I call it heat. It's just a higher cast strength, right? So yeah. cast strength is it just comes out of the barrel as is. A lot of whiskeys are proofed down with water to about 40, 45%. Mm-hmm. I think this one's at about 56%. So... Uh, I think this is a masterclass on how well a cast strength whiskey can taste. Yeah. Um, a lot of higher proof alcohol, um, for me, actually brings out more of the, the sugary flavors that are in the alcohol. Mm-hmm. They add a couple drops of water in that. That really breaks down the molecules and opens and flowers the whiskey out. Um, but there are also some out there that are cast strength just to be cast strength and just taste like kerosene. Right. But this one is a masterclass on how that is not the case. This is really good cast strength bourbon. Yeah, so uh, it started off and it definitely got the the initial sort of burn that a bourbon gives, but then um, it really opens up, like you said. I kind of can taste the sugar, I can taste the the oakiness of it, um, and it's very very smooth and it's very very sweet towards the end. Yes, yeah, this is uh, I would probably say one of the sweeter bourbons I've had, and the cast strength, the fact that it's not too sharp, mm-hmm. is I mean it's pretty impressive to me. So, but yeah, how, how do you think this stacks up to the previous one? You know, I got to say, I like this one a little bit better okay. uh, just because to me, this is something that I would, I would definitely sit around and, and just sip on. Um, probably, probably too, it's, uh, it, I'd probably go too far with this one where I'd sit down and then I'd stand <laughs> up like an hour later and be like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, the, that's, the, that's the thing is that there's a lot of cast strength bourbons out there for me too. You cast strength scotches as well that mm-hmm. it's like you don't know that they're cast strength. They're so sweet. A lot of uh, port barrel aged 
bourbons or scotch that take a lot of that wine note out of the barrel really sweetens and mellows it out and it's like oh this is 62 percent whoops yeah (laughs) (laughs) but but it's great so no it's delicious um you told you told me that you're a bourbon guy so tell me a little bit about you know how what's your go-to how do you how would you describe your palate how'd you get into whiskey tasting in the first place yeah to me uh whiskey started with um some neighbors of mine that were really into bourbon and cigars and stuff like that and and sort of introduced me to all that and um, I got to a point in my life where I couldn't drink a 12 pack of beer and, and have a good time. So I wanted to get there a faster or B uh, smoother. And so I, uh, I decided that um, I was going to go to alcohol to do that. And my, my preferred choice ended up being bourbon just because it was a little bit more accessible. And not only that, but there was a little bit more craft involved. I, I, I really appreciate um, sort of the artistry behind different things. And, you know, uh, even when I take a look at some of these, these airplanes that were sitting around and things like that, the the, to me, especially just looking at my airplane right now, like someone in probably the fifties came up with this design and they're like, this is going to fly in the air. <laughs> and if you would have told me that just sitting here, we knew nothing about airplanes today. I'd have been like, you're full of it. Like, that's not going to fly at all. Like, how's that going to fly? Right. Um, but it, it does and it does really well. And, um, so, so to me, uh, whiskey is kind of like the aviation of the spirits industry because sure. there's some artistry, there's some finesse that's involved. Um, and so, and it, to me, it, it's one of the things that I enjoy the most about it. Yeah, no, well, that's awesome. I mean, I, I think I've, I've told you and, you know, I, I love bourbon. I have bourbon that I will always on my shelf, but bourbon is not my number one. Scotches, because mm-hmm. I like more complex and interesting flavors and especially the history from Scotland and a lot of bourbon makers here learned their craft from Scotsman that came over you know over the pond and said hey this is how we distill in scotland but what's different about bourbon is bourbon has a lot more sweet notes like corn and uh they lose they use a lot less barley scotch is much more barley and malt and uh rye if they can get their hands on it but mostly barley and peat moss to smoke the yeah which i love peated scotches. And you, you know i don't i know you don't <laughs> which is why i didn't bring it i almost yeah. brought a peated bourbon though oh man it's so different yeah one day but anyway so I, I, I just love the complexity of, of scotch, and uh, but once in a while I find a bourbon that just makes me go, ooh, this is great. So I, I don't I don't have bourbon as my number one, but it, I, I definitely have like these. The bottles I brought you are some of my favorites that I, I keep on my shelf at all times. Sure. So, but I got I mean, I got to know just because I have friends who like whiskey. They gave me some stuff, and I, I had been going through this you know stomach thing where I like I, I like having a craft beer here and there, but after two or three, I'm, my stomach is upside down and yep. I can't do it. I can go through a bottle. Of, I probably shouldn't say this on uh, on uh, the air, but I can go through a bottle of whiskey just fine. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I to me, it was just it was one of those things where if you finish two or three beers, like yeah, you just feel like crap, or you get the headache right away. Yeah. I just I wasn't feeling that same way when I was when I was drinking whiskey and bourbon for the first couple times, and sure, um, that's what really kept me coming back to it. And and not only that, but selection, right? There were so many options uh, right. to go and try and do. Right. Well, and, and I, a lot of people don't know this too. When you're during the distilling process, you separate out, they call it cuts. So you're cutting out the, the heads and the tails and you're looking for the hearts to make the actual whiskey. Yep. The tails are just the, the, the really poor quality alcohol uh, molecules that kind of go into, you know, gins and, and vodkas and they triple distill those down to make it a little bit better. But your Fleshman's, your Kessler's, your, your crappy whiskeys that are on the bottom with a plastic bottle, um, that price doesn't always mean bad. Bottle doesn't always mean bad. There are like Virginia Gentleman is actually a pretty good spirit. 
but Fleshman's for one, that, that's all tails. So, and there's a lot more sugar in that. Mm-hmm. So if you drink that and you wake up the next morning, like you're having a lot of cheap whiskey or cheap brandy in a cheap brandy, Wisconsin old fashioned, um, you're going to wake up with a headache yep. and you think, oh, what the hell? I had liquor. Well, you had really shitty liquor. <laughs> you want the hearts and the heads. You don't want to drink that at all. That is right. almost pure ethanol and you're going to just clean the floor with that stuff. Um, but yeah, that's uh, something that I've learned too, that, you know, oh, it actually matters like how, how far up the shelf you go. You stay on the bottom shelf, you're gonna have a bad day. I'm probably gonna get disowned by every Wisconsinite listening to this, but once I learned that bourbon was an option in your old fashioned, I never went back. Oh, like a so you do a bourbon old fashioned? Yeah, never yeah. do the brandy, never. I I do occasionally for like a like a just a, a nostalgic. I'm gonna have a, a sweet a brandy old fashioned sweet with Corbell in a yeah. Wisconsin supper club. I right. have to. Well, and I was just gonna say that like I feel like it's always Corbell being served with uh, with the Wisconsin old fashioned. Like there's just that big. I have it in, in the, the picture in my head of the big Corbell bottle. I'm pretty sure I got one at home too, because that's what you do when you live in Wisconsin. But sure, sure. Um, but yeah, the big Corbell <laughs> bottles with with brandy. No, no, thanks. <laughs> I think I got I got a, a really expensive, uh, not expensive, expensive for Corbell. I got like a it's a VSOP special edition Corbell. It comes in a little case. Instead of twenty bucks, it's thirty five dollars. Nice. I have no idea what's different about it. <laughs> I haven't opened it yet. <laughs> Well, let me know how it goes. I, I will. Yeah. Um, are you ready for the next sample? I am totally ready for the next sample. Let's awesome. do it. So, Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. This is from Balcones in, in Texas. This is the only non-bourbon we're going to have today. But I did it for a reason. I'm, I'm pretty positive this is nearly 100% corn in the mash. So, bourbon gets a lot of its sweetness from corn. Corn's a cheaper uh, grain to get. So, you can make a pretty cheap Tennessee or, or Texas whiskey out of just corn. This is a very distinct flavor of corn sweetness. And I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to give you this to kind of show where your palate resides with the corn note before we go into the expensive bourbon that I brought for you to try. Uh, this is a pretty special one to me because uh, I got this is actually the first batch uh, that came out. Uh, they have had subsequent batches that have come out. They used to not be available anywhere. Now they're available everywhere. You probably go to Total Wine down the road and get it. But back when I got this bottle, and I've, I've kept it, and, and a lot of uh, wine and, and whiskey people know you get an argon spray to spray inside the bottle that keeps it mm-hmm. shelf ready at yep. all times. So it's a few a bottles, a few years old, but uh, now that you can get it anywhere, it's not as special. But it's <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to uh, share this with you. It's a it's a very distinct flavor versus bourbon. So all right, did, did they just increase production, or kind of how did that how did that occur? So this is the first. Texas whiskey on the market since Prohibition, and I, I think they they had ramped up their distribution a couple of years. Baby Blue wasn't selling as, as big as their other big name brands, and then they finally got a, I mean, the, the label is kind of cool. It's Baby Blue. It's a fun little name and whatever, and it's, I think they just decided to start selling it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. It's probably a marketing thing or well, and, and there's no doubt that there's corn in it because they got corn on the label. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. And there's a distinct, too, that this is Texas blue corn. Not, okay. I don't know if that matters for the flavor, but it is uh, it is what they claim. It's interesting. It does start out with kind of like the scotchy sort of feel to it, but then it sort of mellows out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like when you nose over it, it, it smells like scotch. Yeah. And then uh, when you when you get it, it, it kind of has kind of has the best of both worlds a little bit. And I love that there's no peat in it either. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's wild how the corn really makes it like a rounded, mellow flavor. Yeah, there's a lot of it's like it's almost buttery. Mm-hmm. It's thick on the teeth. It's a very lasting finish. It doesn't dry your mouth out at all. To no. Me. Um, 
but of course vanilla brown sugar is all there but all that sweetness is from the corn so that specific part of the of the bourbon is what bourbon gets a sweetness from which i think is really interesting that corn has such a robust different levels of flavor and everything you taste in a whiskey is referential if you've never had black licorice you probably wouldn't be able to taste black licorice in a in a right but uh so i mean brown sugar baking spices all the traditional notes that are in this um this is just like ramped to a thousand because it's just strictly corn mm-hmm. and i love this one this is a this is this is good corn whiskey i think to me is 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 a is an underrated part of the market because it's so cheap you can find places like heaven hill makes mellow corn it has a really disgusting looking bottle and and label and it's on the bottom shelf and it's 20 bucks buy it it's good it is good corn whiskey but people mm. don't know that because it looks like oh, it's kind of cheap right it's great old granddad it's a high rye high corn bourbon 20 bucks buy it it's great bourbon yeah i you had that on the show recently right that's not to say that there aren't also expensive ones that taste great too but <laughs> right price does not always matter <laughs> well for those of us with you know kids and stuff you yeah. can't like you know it, I, I i would have a hard time like coming home and be like hey you know what i did today Bought a hundred dollar bottle of bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, ask my wife how that goes. I can't I can't have an aviation hobby and bring home a hundred dollar bottle of bourbon <laughs> at the same time. I feel like I'm required to ask you now and maybe maybe I can get a sponsorship from Ryan Reynolds, but do you drink aviation gin? Uh so I have had aviation gin. Uh I like it a lot when so every once in a while I'll do a gin and tonic. Okay. Um and I actually I actually really enjoy the Great Lakes Distillery gin. Mm-hmm. Um they I think they make a really nice gin, uh very clean. So I, I'm a big fan of that as well. But uh, aviator gin, you know, of course, like you, as an aviator, you got to have aviation stuff, right? Right. So right. Only makes sense. That's awesome. Fifth brand. Yeah. What do you think the, the future holds for aviation? Is there is there going to be new ad, advents in exploration? Are we going to be able to get to something where we go even you know, 60,000 more feet in the air and go faster? Is that going to happen? I, I think the um, I think the commercial space stuff is really cool i mean you see you see branson doing that you see um you know elon musk is is working towards that as well on different projects so i think the way that we experience commercial aviation is going to change um at the general aviation level i think the airplane that's sitting in front of you right now is is still going to be flying 40 years from now sure sure um and and i think a lot of that is because general aviation has been consumed the same way it's been consumed for the last 80 years and it's going to continue on the same way um so so, so if, to me, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of change in, in the grassroots of aviation. Um, but I do think that the commercial experience uh, will certainly change. I think we're going to see a lot more space. I think we're going to see a lot more, um, you know, subsonic flight. I think we're going to see a lot of that. Um, and I, I think you're going to see a lot of electric in airplanes as well. Sure. Is that, um, I, I haven't seen any of that. Is that is that com- new and coming, or is it just kind of underspoken? Yeah, right now the the world's leading electrical airplane can fly for a total of twenty minutes, um, <laughs> which doesn't give you a lot of options. Um, but it's it's a it's a really cool concept. And to me, I think if you're going to invest in one thing, uh, especially on the aviation side, it's invest in electric aviation because I think that's going to be the future of general aviation. Interesting. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I had no idea that was even. I guess. I mean, everyone's going electric now. Yep. Wow. Very mm-hmm. cool. Well, shall we uh, do our final uh, tasting? I'd love that. Yeah. Awesome. So, and we can toast, toast to the Wright brothers, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, uh, Michter's uh, is a pretty big name in bourbon. They're in Kentucky. Um, they're one of the oldest distillers in Kentucky, other than Buffalo Trace and, and Wild Turkey and all them. But Bomberger's is an old distillery back in the late 1800s that was making uh, 
whiskey and bourbon and, and all the things, and they they folded. Michter's became a big name brand. Uh, had bought them out, bought all the rights to their labeling, their 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 ingredient list, all that stuff, and kind of sat on the the name for a while. In I believe 2018 was the first release of their of this bourbon. They re-release Bomb Burgers, and they do it every year now as a special limited release at a cast strength level. Uh, and they just do it with a kind of a big pompous circumstance of like celebrating our heritage. This is what we come from. This is the bourbon of the old days, and this is so good. I don't know if it's the same recipe. I think they I think they got the same recipe. They probably have changed it a little bit just to play with it because whatever sells for the market. Um, but they do a special release every year. This, what I have for you here is a 2021 release. And I got this in Kentucky itself. And one detail that matters most about Bomberger's is that each year of its inception, we have uh, an increased percentage of bourbon that's used in the blend that's aged with uh, chin, I don't even know how to say it, but it's chinquapin, chinquapin oak. I'll believe you. I, Sounds great. But so it's a, <laughs> bourbon traditionally is aged in American oak barrels. The chinquapin oak apparently adds a much more robust and sugary flavor to the bourbon. So every time they release these burgers, they add more and more of that bourbon that's been touched by that oak rather than American oak solely. So I don't know what the blend is on this one, but it's phenomenal. And it's a very unique series of oak that only one other distillery has admitted to using. It's a trade secret, apparently. Buffalo Trace. And Buffalo Trace is pretty big on the market right now. So this is Bomberger's. Awesome. So this is 108 proof. So it's really got something going for it. Oh, yeah. So this, right. this will kick in your pants. This will be like uh, us landing on grass <laughs> and doing uh, doing slip conversions <laughs> to slow airspeed, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This will drop your stomach a little bit. All right. <laughs> Let's do it. Cheers, Cheers. That's it's, different. It's not as intense as I was anticipating when you were like, tell me the proof. Yeah. If anything, it's got, yeah, towards the middle and the end. Like, you can definitely get the the sort of the, to me, the kind of the caramel, the vanilla comes at the end. Mm -hmm. um, but it's certainly not as offensive on the front as you would anticipate. So to me, this tastes a lot more burnt. Well, uh, burnt wood, burnt tobacco, burnt, uh, mm -hmm. burnt, uh, What's the caramel? I guess it's it's a it's a very like a like that like burnt sugar on top of a creme brulee. It's got that kind of a sweet burnt flavor. Um, a lot of tobacco notes on the nose for me. It's very sweet and like berries, mm -hmm. um, which is unique for a bourbon. But I, I'm guessing that that new oak has a different type of flavor profile in the wood sugar that I'm not really sure about, but it works. Yeah, I can really sense the wood sugar, especially on that second sip. Um, I felt like I got a really sort of big whiff of it as far as taste wise um towards towards the middle yeah of the second sip it really comes through uh, but man that is really good this one too is very very syrupy like you said coming out of the bottle it looks syrupy yeah it it it, it kind of washes your teeth a little bit yep um sticks on the tongue for quite a bit yep and that burn for me rather than a lot of cast strength that it burns in the front of your mouth it burns in the back of your throat it carries down through the stomach and it kind of warms the soul a little bit. Um, that's the kind of burn I, pre I prefer in a bourbon. Yeah. So this is uh, probably a masterclass on what I would consider my favorite type of bourbon is this. Yeah. No, it's really good. So now you've had four different samplings. I'm, I, I'm, you might have some recency bias, as I do. Give me a, give me a quick ranking. So um, what, was it? what was our number two? The, uh, yeah, the Purveyor's uh, Double Oaked. Yeah. There's just something about this this bourbon, the Purveyor's Double Oak. I, I felt like was really uh, something special. I felt like that it was between the the way it drinks and the the flavor profile and the way it come kind of. 
I just thought it was really amazing. That was great. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a good gem. Yeah. So to me, that'd be my number one. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, if we're going down the line, yeah, going, yeah. Um, my number two would probably be the bomb burgers. Okay. Um, just just from how uh, I, I love the way that it's it's just nice and smooth, and it gives you a lot of flavor profile in the middle. Um, leaves you with the kind of the sugary oak feeling at the end. Um, and then the the third one here would definitely be the first one we started with, uh, which was that um, from Denver. Yeah, the Bear Creek Distillery. Yep. Um, and then. Not because I don't like it, but the baby blue. Yeah, yeah, yep. that's so, fair. Yeah, that's I would expect that as a bur- for, for a bourbon guy. Yeah, but you know why I did that, and why I'm, I'm glad I brought it because that it's so unique. Because <laughs> you knew you'd be right. Because <laughs> I knew. <it'd> be right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, as we finish off this last sample, I have to ask the same question I ask all my guests at the very end. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? <laughs> Yeah, so I've, it's so funny because I talked to you about this earlier and how you had a guest whose name also was Brad. And uh, Brad's response was, man, Brad's here. Finally, we can have it. We can have fun. This is great. Brad made it. We've been watching this whole time. Um, you know, I, I, it's a very cliche answer, but uh, I, I'd want him to, to kind of affirm that I did everything right. Or at least the mistakes that I made, I, I, I made atonements for and that I went forward and did the best that I could. And, you know, in the wedding business and in everything else, I feel like there's a high level of, there's a lot of eyes on what I do, right? And so when when you're delivering a ceremony or when you're kind of going through that, um, you, you know, you, you wanna make sure that you're doing right by people. And I've always I've always kind of had that in my in the back of my head when I'm working with people. My my my, my contract is super simple. <laughs> and it's funny, it, it mind boggles everybody because they, they feel like I have this like big, you know, well-established business that's going to have this complicated contract, and it's it's not. And the reason being is that I'm still surprised people ask me to perform their ceremony all the time. <laughs> and to me, I I just I always wanted to make sure that I did the best by my kids, I did the best by my wife, I did the best by my business, and the people that subscribed to it, the friends that I kept, and the people that I had around me. Um, and not only that, but that I hope to inspire. Not just uh, the people that are around me, but the, the the generation that I leave behind, and 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 that specifically is for my kids that I raise them right, and that they kind of live their life in the same way. Um, and if I could get there, and I get the affirmation that that we did the best that we could, and and that yeah, we made some mistakes along the way, but um, you still did everything the way that you were supposed to. That would be the best answer I'd get. Well, that's all. That's a, that's a great way to end this. But I I, I want to say I, thank you so much and. Cheers to your part in love, of course, full circle. But also, I'll keep you in mind for my next wedding. <laughs> <laughs> you anticipating that soon? Is that <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, all right. Anna doesn't listen to my podcast. I always, <laughs> I always said that the evolution of the I do business, right? So my my practice is it's I do. I waited till the end of the show to discuss that. That's great. Um, <laughs> I should have said something. The marketing people and they're like, "Well, oh my God, he screwed that up." Um, but my my wedding business, my the whole evolution of that, right? My my. My idea for this is that we don't a strip mall on a really bad side of town. <laughs> and we'd have the I do business be the first business you walk into. And that would be the business you get married in. And the next business next door would be, I did, but I don't anymore. And that would be the divorce attorney. And you could get a 25% discount. Walk through the door. I was previously married by I do. I get a 25% discount on this on this sort of acquittal of this of this whole thing. And then... Next to that, we'd have, I did, I don't, but I do again. 
and then we and we'd have and the, the the whole circle cycle customers in and out get more money for less work <laughs> and do it by serving people the whole way through and and no, it sounds terrible. It sounds like it sounds like ambulance chasing lawyering, but you know what? It, I think it'd be the best business plan ever. Well, <laughs> if you need someone to do a podcast with the the, the victims of your, <laughs> you let me know. I can't I can't tell if it's a multi level marketing scheme or not because I think one business <laughs> capital strip mall. Oh man, I. I Completely kidding. This is not my vision for the business at all. Um, so those of you listening, that's not my vision for the practice at all. In fact, um, in, in fact, uh, one thing that I should mention too is that the, the business did merge with a, a company out of Madison called Corey Ceremony. I love being a part of their group. And it gives me access to, to five other officiants who uh, do amazing work in, um, in, the, in the wedding ceremony space. And yeah. um, gives me access to a lot of that experience, but also to, to kind of build their business as well. So that's beautiful. Yeah, it's exciting. Well, thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure, Brad. I, I, I appreciate your friendship and the flight that you gave me before we did the podcast and coming on the podcast. So cheers, and uh, we'll do it again. Yeah, cheers to you, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate it.